Welcome to Public Worship and the Christian Life, a podcast by the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. In this series of conversations, hosted by Calvin Institute of Christian Worship staff members, we invite you to explore connections between the public worship practices of congregations and the dynamics of Christian life and witness in a variety of cultural contexts, including places of work, education, community development, artistic and media engagement, and more. Our conversation partners represent many areas of expertise and a range of Christian traditions, offering insights to challenge us as we discern the shape of faithful worship and witness in our own communities. We pray this podcast will nurture curiosity and provide indispensable countercultural wisdom for our life together in Christ. In this episode, join John Whitfleet, Director of the Worship Institute, in conversation with David M. Bailey, Director of Arabon, an organization based in Richmond, Virginia, and dedicated to equipping and empowering organizations for reconciliation. I am very grateful today to be in conversation with David Bailey, Richmond, Virginia, an affiliate uh, in our work at the Worship Institute. David, it's, it's an honor, as always, to be talking with you today. Yeah, likewise. I'm so glad to uh, be a part. I always enjoy conversations we get a chance to have. One of the last times we talked, David, was um, after the pandemic was underway, but before the uh, death of George Floyd. And I think back on that conversation, not that many weeks ago, and how much the world has changed since then, and how much I'm sure your work has changed since then. What what has it been like for you? Man, I mean, we went, I mean, kind of post, I mean, what we, my birthday was March the 12th, by the 15th, every engagement was canceled or postponed, so didn't know what things were going to look like in September, and I remember us having a little bit of conversation along that lines. And then I get a call from a community down in Brunswick, Georgia, where Maude Arbery was. And then they said, like, hey, we've been dealing with something down here locally. It's probably going to hit national news. Can you help us? And then, I mean, it's it's been nonstop um, since then. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, we, we basically have been doing the things that we normally do. It's just been a lot of it. A lot of people are, are trying to figure out, right, what do we do? How do we engage? And that's, that's a lot of conversation that we've been having. I keep thinking that um, while it is right to worry about how many people a year from now will not have the same resolve and sense of vocation around anti-racism as they do now, I think that's a proper worry. It is also, it does strike me as a remarkable opportunity vocationally in this moment to just um, lean deeply. And I'm I'm profoundly grateful for you and the work that Arabon's done. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks. You know, and the thing that we're really trying to do is to try to uh, get people on a path of formation, you know, discipleship, yeah. so that it becomes like a, you know, a thing that um, we just aren't responding to a, a moment, but we're right. actually preparing for a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. Anti-racism. It's not a workshop to check off and feel like we're done right. with it. It's a way right. of life. Yeah. For the rest yeah. of our yeah. lives. Yeah, uh, I was deeply uh, moved by the piece that you did with David Taylor 
around uh, righteous anger. Uh, the class of the summer that I'm involved with um, will be engaging the Psalms of anger. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, what a, what a key aspect of, of your ministry has been related to that. And I think especially of this new setting of Psalm 10. Could you reflect a little bit on Psalm 10 and just what it's been like to, to, to have righteous anger be a part of the mix? Not just lament, but this, this sense of, of, of righteous anger. Yeah, you know, it's, it's been one of those things that, um, it's been a journey for us. Um, so, you know, I'm rooted in a community called East End Fellowship in Church Hill, um, probably around 2013 or so, 2012, 2013, we, we were engaging in, we, we realized we needed to lament because we were in a, in a community that sometimes would experience gun violence, um, uh, drug-related gun violence. Um, maybe a kid we were mentoring uh, went to jail or a young lady gets pregnant and, you know, like, and these were just tragedies of the heart, you know, and, um, and the reality of it is, is a lot of times when you're middle class or, or college educated and above, you don't have to engage in the challenging systemic uh, issues of um, people who are experiencing um, material poverty. And when you get into that, I mean, we're we're in we're worshiping with folks. We're in relationship. We're in each other's houses, and this becomes not like a statistical theory, but things that are really heartbreaking. And so we started to do like prayer vigils and realize, okay, lament is a thing that we need. Then uh, Trayvon Martin happened, and then we got into a deep like lament was a thing because it was a diverse congregation that some people we're like um, kind of NRA folks and some people are like, we need gun control. And so it wasn't like everybody thought the same way, but lament was the thing that kind of brought us together. But then over the years, as we kind of grew into this, I think about the Philando Castile that, and um, or, or the Charleston nine. I mean, we really started to allow um, um, more anger to be expressed, you know, and not to like, yeah. filter that as we, we have these lament service and pray, just kind of like let people just share whatever they, they share. And, you know, around 2017, I believe, uh, one of the interns wrote the song, God, not guns rooted out Psalms 10. Um, and yeah. And, and so we, re, we thought it was a good time to release it. And I'm on opera. I mean, just, I just felt like we read Psalms 10. I mean, just felt like this is explaining the mod opera scenario. And, um, and so I preached a sermon for uh, Church of the City um, out of Psalms 10, and we released a song and, you know, the, the, the CT article. Yeah. One of the things that um, has struck me, um, if I think about my own life and, and those I know, is um, the overcoming that we have to do uh, against the view that all anger is wrong. You know, we, it's like you get the, the, um, that verse about do not let the sun go down on your anger kind of taken probably out of context. Yeah. And, and this struck me, um, in reading Psalm 119 this summer and I'm rolling along here and reading about, um, you know, this is my comfort that your promise gives me life, this sort of thing. And then get down about verse 63 and, and the psalmist cries out, hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. 
Wow. And it's not just anger. It's hot indignation. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and then I recall, you know, a really compelling um, piece that Jeremy Bigby did about Jesus as um, the one who expressed emotion in pure and holy ways. And so his act of throwing the money changers out of the temple uh, well, this challenge is, frankly, um, me very uh, yeah. in a very deep way. Yeah. Uh, have you found resistance? You know, I mean, I'm thinking of the, the mix of folks in your congregation or in the audiences that you engage with. Have you found uh, the kind of reluctance or resistance? Yeah, I mean, I think it's in the same way um, where if you do any, like, premarital counseling or counseling, marriage counseling, um, you might come across this concept called um, family of origins, you know, and we it like every humans have conflict. Yeah. Um, some families say like, hey, let's not deal with conflict directly. Some say let's do it directly. Uh, some some folks, uh, when they have conflict, they escalate and they might get violent. They might even attack one another physically, you know, and when you grow up and that's your family, it's, it's quote, quote, normal. You know, and so so that is a thing that is uh, um, we all come from families and cultures of origin. And so, you know, if you're Southern or you might be like in a Dutch culture, you know, it, it might not be OK to to one one deal with things directly. It might even be OK to like express anger. And that's that's the case, you know, um, folks, or it could be culturally OK for some people to express anger, for other people not to express anger. So one of the things this looks like. I, I, a lot of times in uh I hear people talk about like like if I, if I like look at Fox News or something like that they say like liberals are emotional. And I'm like, well, folks on Fox News are emotional too. This is anger and fear. It's like the emotion that they allow to do. Like to be human is to be emotional. That's not a bad thing. Uh and yeah. so like if a woman's angry, then they got words for her. You know, if a person of color is angry, they're an angry Asian or angry black man. And so, you know, it's I've heard all of the above, you know, and I think one of the things I think as a pastor, as a minister, as somebody that's really trying to help folks is like God gave us the book of Psalms to be like anger school, like the stuff that is written in Psalms when the psalmist is expressing anger before the Lord. You're like, what? This isn't a sacred text. Like, why in the world would like. I don't know any sane person that would say some of these things. Yeah. <laughs> Why would God allow us to be here? And it's fascinating that God allowed these, gave us these words to pray um, in like, these are prayer, prayer words. And, and like, it's really fascinating. And I think we need to lean into that. You are listening to Public Worship and the Christian Life, Conversations for the Journey a podcast produced by the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. Check out our website at worship.calvin.edu for resources related to this topic and many other aspects of public worship. As I listened to God and Guns, um, one of the things that really struck me is that it was very uh, direct it's very much uh, informed by Psalm 10, but it also conveyed a sense of hope. Um, it, it, it did something with anger. It wasn't just kind of like the expression of anger for its own sake almost. It, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. it had a telos in there, and yeah. 
it, I ran across this quotation um, uh, attributed to Augustine, which is uh, that um, Augustine apparently once said that hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. Oh, wow. That's great. Anger at the way things are and the courage to work to make things other than they are. Well, and I thought, you know, that attaches hope to something bigger, uh, to a telos, to an end. That's what I really hear in, in that setting. Uh, so what do, what do you think? Does that, does that feel right to you that it's kind of like, yeah, that resonates in a, in a certain direction or tell us. Yeah. I, I think that really resonates. I mean, I think because of my disposition, sometimes folks might say something like David, um, you are, um, you know, you're, you know, you, I like how you talk about race. You're not angry. And, and I, I, I hear what people are saying in that. I think a more accurate statement is that you're not bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually am angry. I mean, like, and I should be angry about stuff, right? Like, I'm angry about the zip code can determine the quality of education in the United States of America. Like, even in the same county or the same city, the yeah. wealthier zip code gets, uh, uh, the kids get better education. You know, I'm angry about that. You know, um, you know, I'm angry at the fact that how I have to, like, um, you know, manage my life in certain ways uh, or the fact that, like, black women uh, they even like college educated middle-class black women have, um, worse, uh, birthing rates and risk, higher, higher birth risk, uh, pregnancy risk than, um, than a, a, a poor white woman. And, and a lot of this has to do with the stress of what, the, what black women have to carry. I'm angry about that. Right. Those are things that should be angry. But the question is, is like, what do you do with it? Right. Like, how, like, where does that anger go? You know, yep. um, you know, I was angry about the fact that there were like automatic, like automatic, but there were established leadership pipelines for white men and white women and how to navigate in white spaces, but not like when I was trying to figure out how to be a leader, how to fulfill vision. Um, I didn't have it going up. So I was like, hey, let me do something about that. Let me develop a leadership pipeline for uh, leaders of color. So I started Urban Doxology Songwriting Internship. Like these, like you could direct these things. And, and a lot of my prayer life with God is really talking about this, this, this like disappointment, this anger, like, Lord, what is it that we do? But I, like, I love it. Like what um, Paul, I believe it was Paul and it says like those who grieve, we don't grieve um, like the world does. We grieve with hope. Yeah. Like I, we have to be resurrection people. Like, and that, that is like, that's not just a Sunday holiday for me to get dressed up. Uh, it is like a thing that I have to believe in order to do this type of work that God is not okay with it, that God is angry about it, that God is just willing. He just wants some servants that's going to partner with God to help make uh, uh, um, wholeness and healing and reconciliation and restoration. That's kind of my general disposition. So it's like I'm angry, but it's a directed anger, you know, and, yeah, and I – and I do spiritual practices not to be bitter. And I think that's, I think this type of stuff, if you don't allow this to get through your system, that's what's going to happen to you. Yeah. Um, so it makes me think that, um, I like that distinction a lot. Um, angry, but not bitter. The other thing I've been thinking about is that so many of our images of anger are associated with, um, a kind of fickleness, you know, mm-hmm. um, so the, the, the image of an abusive parent who is kind one minute and then suddenly turns and becomes violent. Mm-hmm. 
uh, obviously mm-hmm. that's just heinous and just yeah. achingly sorrowful. And um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but rather, it seems to me something like righteous anger would be this idea um, that without succumbing to bitterness, that there there's a c- constancy in it. Um, you know, I even think, wow, what, what, what it would be like if we thought, you know, our vocation between now and when we die is to remain constant in, um, in a kind of righteous anger yes, about, yes. about matters that are against God's um, intent. Yes, uh, yes. And I have to admit, that's, that's a new question I find myself asking here in July of 2020. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I mean, I think like, you you could see that like with a Mother Teresa or a Harriet Tubman or a Dr. King, right? Like that was kind of a, a constant. They, they they weren't up and down with this. They were just like a long obedience in the same direction. That's such a great. I never thought about it in that way. You got me my wheels turning, but yeah, Frederick, anybody anything? I mean, how Frederick, yeah, Frederick Douglass every oh, yeah. year just all those hundreds of speeches, and he sustains that for this just yeah. decades. Yeah. Yeah, and I was just—I was on another um, podcast, and and I was just thinking, like, I think in our world, when you kind of grow up with microwave—I mean, I, I grew up with a microwave. I don't know if you grew—I don't know you—you you wouldn't have grown up with a microwave, but like, I, I'm like one of those microwave generations, and things have gotten. I'd say faster. I mostly mostly grew up with a microwave, <laughs> <I'm not thinking> <laughs> <better>. <laughs> but like you know, my um, you know, and the things have gotten faster, so your kids expect things to even go faster. Yeah. Than, than what we kind of grew up with. And it's kind of like, I think that's formed us to believe that that change is, is faster than what it really is. Like, um, you know, God's been doing things for thousands of years, you know, and some things take hundreds of years to happen. I was thinking, like, NAACP got started in 1909 with Brown versus Board of Education. Like, their most, one of the first significant legislative move at the Supreme Court was 1954. It was 45 years of a long obedience in the same direction. And so I think that's how we have to think about it. Like, like not in a sense of like, hey, we'll get to it and, and, and right. procrastinate, but right. like we're diligently doing this thing and being in the constancy, but knowing that, hey, you know, salvation will come in God's time. Restoration will come in God's time, but we need to be faithful. Yeah. David, tremendous thank you to you for all you yeah. do. And I, I look forward to picking up our conversation again very soon. Thank you. Welcome, Lane. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Blessings. Thanks for listening. We invite you to visit our website at worship.calvin.edu to learn more about the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship, an interdisciplinary study and ministry center dedicated to the scholarly study of the theology, history, and practice of Christian worship and the renewal of worship in worshiping communities across North America and beyond.